0: Welcome everybody to Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host as always. Uh, it's Monday, February twenty eighth, and the Russia-Ukraine war is ongoing. Um, we can really we can get into geopolitics of this in a little bit, but uh, today we are going to be talking about the way that the media has been covering this. So far, pretty short war. I think I think we're on day four, maybe five. Um, and I wrote a little bit about this uh, at the newsletter newsletters at owenhiggins.substack.com, eoinhiggin substack.com uh, in in a story uh, called quote relatively civilized, relatively European close quote. Media bias infects coverage of Ukraine war. Western outlets are showing us whose struggles against oppression are considered worthy and whose are not. And in this story, uh, I just kind of review some of the coverage that we've seen so far of the conflict in Ukraine and the way that Western media is approaching this story and how there's this kind of undercurrent to it where because the... Uh, you know, the, the victims of the aggressive force in this case, the Ukrainians, are white and they are not, uh, for example, Palestinian or Yemeni uh, or, or Afghan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so before we get started and, and we're going to go to Sana Saeed from AJ Plus, uh, but I do want to just play two things. And the first one is from Saturday. And this is CBS reporter uh, Charlie Degada. And he's comparing Ukraine to other conflict spots around the world. And he's differentiating it from implicitly savage lands of the global south. So I'm going to play this clip here really quick.
1: Now with the Russians marching in, it's changed uh,
2: the calculus entirely. Uh, Tens of thousands of people have tried to uh, flee the city. There will be many more. People are hiding out in bomb shelters. But this
3: isn't. A place with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a
2: relatively civilized, uh, relatively European. I have to choose those words carefully
4: too uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen.
0: So that's the first one. Uh, the second one is from Britain's ITV. This is this is a shorter clip um, but it basically says the same thing.
5: Now the unthinkable has happened to them, and this is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe.
0: Yeah, this is uh, this is Europe, where where this stuff isn't supposed to happen. Um, and that is that is the undercurrent, you know, to all of this coverage. Well, not all of this coverage, but but all of the coverage that uh, has been questionable has kind of had this underlying assumption that there, there has been on Sky News. Uh, there was this kind of laudatory coverage of Ukrainians making Molotov cocktails. Najwa Khan, who joined us last week, pointed out on Twitter that, you know, they would never do this for Palestinians doing the same thing. And uh, French television commentators on two occasions, these are translations, but they said, one of them said, we're not talking here about Syrians fleeing the bombing of the Syrian regime backed by Putin. We're talking about Europeans leaving in cars that look like ours to save their lives. Uh, later on, another one said, "We are in the twenty first century we are in a european citizen uh we are in a European city, and we have cruise missile fire as if we were in Iraq or Afghanistan um so yeah, that kind of that kind of lays it out there um so Sana, I know that you only have you know about fifteen minutes here, so I was hoping that you could and I know you've been posting about this quite a bit, and you do a lot of media criticism over on a j plus I'm curious what you think about the way the war has been covered so far and what your general take on this kind of, I guess, implicit xenophobia in the way that this stuff is being covered.
6: Hey, Owen. Thanks so much for uh, for having me on here again. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just going to also repeat or share some other instances as well just to kind of make a, a broader point. Um, oh, absolutely. As, yeah. as, as you mentioned, right, like we've seen media coverage that, explicitly is telling us i think what we already do know but we're seeing it unfold in real time in a way that has been shocking and i think it's also been shocking to many of us who work within this industry and we know that these realities exist i mean that's not breaking news to us that's something we know in terms of um uh you know the different ways in which refugees from certain countries are covered or handled or or conflicts or wars, invasions, et cetera. So we know this, but to see it unfold um, so explicitly, and also less than a year after the invasion of Gaza, right, Um, after the the Israeli assault on Gaza in May 2021, um, you know, the the double standards, the hypocrisies are are mind-blowing to see, Um, especially when you're like, oh, so you do have the capacity to recognize an occupation, that's interesting oh, you do have, you know, the capacity to understand armed resistance and the importance of it for a population resistance to, resisting, you know, tyranny and occupation and a loss of land. Very interesting that that capacity exists, but only seems to exist in certain um, in certain ways. Um, you know, other instances that I've seen, and there's so many, I'm actually working on a video for my series Backspace about this, although we're probably going to release it Next week, we want to provide a more in-depth, kind of sober, quote unquote, analysis of what all of this coverage has looked like. So we've been working nonstop today uh, on gathering clips from around the world. But you know, like we saw, for instance, Jake Tapper, uh, you know, retweet about Ukrainian MP picking up and learning how to handle a uh, Kalashnikov. We see, you know, podcast host and special correspondent for MSNBC, Charles Germain Star, share images of. You know, someone who is referred to as a close friend, a, a loved one who is a Ukrainian civilian, civilian picking up arms to go fight the Russians in the evening. And and for me, immediately, I'm just thinking of, OK, so, you know, imagining any Arab or Muslim, especially um, a journalist in the United States having like, oh, this is a loved one of mine who is joining the fight against the Israelis uh, during this invasion. And just what kind of a backlash that would bring or even, you know, similar to Jake Tapper's retweet, had I retweeted you know, so, oh, this, you know, uh, you know, like a uh, Yemeni official has picked up arms, uh, et cetera, and how noble. Um, you know, we, of course, I, many of us have seen now the the infamous Sky News segment um, uh, l- focusing on a community of people in Dnipro uh, making molotovs. And, and not just sharing that, but actually, you know, the the reporter says this is extraordinary to witness, and then also goes on to give Extremely minute details of how to make them stick to vehicles, right? Which is mind blowing because it's like, did we not ban the anarchist cookbook? Fascinating how it's okay in this situation. Um, you know, even my own network, Al Jazeera. I work for AJ Plus, which is a, which is you know a sister channel of the Al Jazeera Media Network. And one of our presenters, who's a former BBC presenter, Peter Dobby, also you know made horrific remarks about refugees. You know, specifically saying how when we look at the, this footage, it's like it's very com- uh, compelling images, right, of, of these Ukrainians because, look at, because of how they're dressed. Um, and they look middle class and prosperous. They don't look like refugees. And I think what all of what we're seeing is telling us very explicitly about not just the kind of deb- like the, the double standards and the very, very uh, insidious xenophobia and racism that exists in our coverage, but also how much of this is aligned with foreign policies of different countries. Right. And also, you know, I think it's easy to say, well, it's, it's about whiteness, which it is in terms of like, there's a, there's whiteness plays like as a kin relation point of reference for many white Americans, for instance, like I live in the United States. So I'm going to speak primarily from that, you know, vantage point. I'm also Canadian, so I can speak from that primarily vantage point. Um, You know, but I think, a lot of people, for instance, have come and said, well, the Russians are white too, so is it really about you know like white kinship? or? And that's where I think we also need to bring in that it's about perceived civilizational and ideological fault lines as well. Who is on, quote unquote, our side and who isn't on our side as well, right? And the kind of humanity that's afforded um, to people uh, by our governments. There's so many governments, in, right, in, in, in Europe right now who have... Extremely um, horrendous refugee asylum policies, extremely restrictive policies when it comes to um, refugees, and who've opened their doors to to four hundred thousand Ukrainians. Right within it hasn't even been a week yet, and four hundred thousand Ukrainians have been able to uh, leave Ukraine um, and 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 enter, um, you know, neighboring countries. Uh, you know, Poland and Hungary, for instance, infamously have extremely restrictive um, uh, asylum, uh, uh policies and, and processes, which they've completely made, um, Ukrainians exempt from, um, you know, so I think we need to be able to see this media coverage as not just simply about, oh, it's just anti-brown, anti-black racism, which, it, which it is, but I think it goes far deeper into looking at obviously the, the racism that underpins, of course, like foreign policies and of course, like um, in lieu of how European countries, and very particular Western European countries, I should say, have kind of come together to really fight back against um, and push back against uh, Russia, and, and kind of, I mean, even today, right? It was revealed how "quote unquote" neutral Switzerland is also like putting aside neutrality. Um,
0: well, right. I think. I think that. I, I think the one piece of context too, and this has been kind of like bouncing around my head while I've been watching this, um, especially with all the like references to. World War 2 is that there seems to be this kind of like undercurrent of you know uh, in in Europe like we Europeans we don't do this anymore. You know like we don't kill like like we we kind of like uh outsource our violence to other parts of the world. We don't do this to each other anymore. And and there does seem to be that kind of undercurrent of it as well, which I think goes to what you're saying kind of about Russia now being the enemy, right?
6: Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's this this continued idea of like, well, we don't do this to us, even though it's like you know, Ukraine. It has like we know, and this has of course been reported in U.S. media as well and in European media as well. Is that we know the situation in Eastern Ukraine, what that's been like since 2014. It's not like the entirety of Ukraine has been living in absolute like peace and, and and with no kind of civil strife of any kind or or um, uh, a foreign kind of uh, meddling or anything of that sort no we know that it's actually been um, a you know it's been bubbling for, for since 2014 um, and so even that kind and of course and again when it comes to NATO and Russia that goes even further so even yeah that kind of whole um, this doesn't happen here this isn't you know our this, this isn't uh, what civilized, you know, that word's been, throwing, uh, been thrown around a lot too, right, about civilization, civilized, etc. Um, I do want to mention that one of my favorite instances of this kind of hypocrisy, which I thought was just absolutely beautiful, was um, there was a French uh, social media, uh, Twitter account which uh, put together uh, the hypocrisy in particular of uh, uh, French far-right presidential candidate, Marie Pen, and uh, in it, it, it juxtaposes two of her statements on uh Ukrainian refugees and on Syrian refugees um and on Ukrainian refugees you know she's talking about the importance of upholding and remembering the Geneva convention and the rights of the refugees all of a sudden international law is front and center and then on the other when it comes to Syrian refugees she's saying um you know we don't really have the means to house everyone it's really sad but we don't have the means to and the space for these refugees and also if i was you know, if I was uh, from a country that was under war, I would stay and fight the person who is destroying my country. And I think ultimately, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of wrap it up right now, and I can stay for a few minutes. But I think that ultimately, what's really devastating also about this is that it is such a grave injustice to also in addition to all these other refugees and kind of dehumanization that like it's also an injustice to Ukrainians right especially Ukrainian Ukrainian refugees Ukrainians who are who possibly could lose their entire country um it really is very unjust to them that to uplift their humanity we have to have a almost um a, a dehumanization of Millions of people uh, kind of seared into it, and I think it's really unfortunate. Um, and you know, I just saw a really good tweet that that resonated with me, which is that instead of kind of being allowed to, I'll, I'll summarize and kind of paraphrase it is like instead of being kind of allowed to to collectively be part of the mourning and the grieving of what's happening because it is obviously a horrific situation. Um, so many of us, especially those of us who are journalists who come from um, you know non European, non white backgrounds, kind of have had to jump into this position where we have to talk about like and hold our own industry accountable. Right. And it's very hard to be doing that. And also, um, trying to join in with this kind of uh, recognition of the devastation that's taking place. Um, so yeah. I think it's very yeah. important.
0: Yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that that has been, um, it has been something that's been hanging over it for sure. Uh, The Arab and Middle Eastern Journalists Association did issue a statement, uh, you know, on this, on this uh, coverage, calling on newsrooms, uh, quote, to be mindful of implicit and explicit bias in Ukraine reporting uh, and uh, condemning examples of racist coverage that ascribe more importance to some victims of war over others. Um, But you're right. I mean, like, it shouldn't even it shouldn't even have come to this. Uh, We should just be covering the story. Right. As opposed like as opposed to just covering the way that the media is covering the story because as self self-referential as, as that is, um, it is also important to know like how the media is covering it to how newsrooms are covering. Um, I want to give Sam, uh, and, and Bryce a chance to just jump in here before you go Sana, if they want to ask you anything or, or, or comment on what you said.
4: Uh, hi, Sana. Hi Owen. Uh, Hey Bryce. Um, no I, everything that y'all said uh is is spot on and i, I just add that you know it's like the, the us and western media is not just an objective observer of this conflict there they they're out there allied with ukraine they are involved in the same sort of information warfare that we're seeing on the in the battlefield there between ukraine and russia as well so while You know, this conflict in a way is like a giant mirror that people in the West should see like, oh, well, this might have been like what Iraq looked like to everybody else. Uh, We're missing all those clues because of how invested we are also in this war. And uh, even even to like absurd lengths where you see like videos of uh, a Palestinian girl attacking like an Israeli or not attacking, but like protesting an Israeli occupying troop. And that has been. Spread as uh, a, a Ukrainian girl resisting occupation, and it's like it would, it's the same act, but you change the context, and suddenly it's supported by people in the West as opposed to opposed. And you have like a, an example on Fox News, the clip going around, where it's talking about how illegal it is to invade a sovereign nation to Condoleezza Rice, and there are all these clues that we should be picking up that that are being missed by most of the people operating in media.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think I think that I do wonder about the the clips from uh, Palestine. They they I mean, how intentional is that, uh, Bryce? I see you, you've unmuted. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just
2: going to bring up the fact that yeah, in addition to like all of these uh, like strange non uh, like like all these images coming out that are purportedly of Ukraine that they're like actually not. There are also all these stories that are coming out, right? Um, you, you remember the, the, ghost of you, uh, the ghost of Kiev or uh, that story about the, the Russians uh, blowing up all the Ukrainian soldiers on Snake Island. Like you hear about that stuff and then you hear that it later turns out to be false. But no one considers that part of, you know, any sort of concerted disinformation campaign or propaganda campaign. We reserve those terms for the enemy. Like if there are lies being spread uh, from from the Russian side, from the from, from their side, like we're quick to call that like misinformation, disinformation, wartime propaganda. But we don't use those same descriptors for uh, our own. And, and I just want to echo everything that uh, Sana and Sam just said about uh, this idea of worthy and unworthy victims. I can talk about that a little bit more lately, but I think that's really the critical dimension that we should understand this whole this whole media environment like there are some people who deserve our attention and there are a series of others who simply don't Uh, something that people might not be aware of that happened about uh I i think four days ago was while this whole ukraine situation was going on there was a u.n report uh saying that around 13 million people are on the brink of starvation in yemen well, Yemen is a U.S.-created, U.S.-instigated, U.S.-supported disaster, and you know everyone—all these like journalists—they have access to the same wire services, the same internet that we do, but they didn't determine that that was a an important story to tell. Uh, they they downplayed it, they ignored it because we focus on the victims that we care about, and we don't care about the are vi- like uh, the the victims of the United States aggression or you know the victims of. Uh, United States allies.
0: Yeah, I think I think um, it, it, just to push back on that very lightly, uh, because I because I generally agree with that, um, and also uh is going to hang out for a little bit longer. Um, I think that uh, certainly the way that Yemen has been covered uh, in Western media, in U.S. media, has been shameful. One, like one hundred percent. And our uh, U.S. involvement in that conflict and Saudi involvement in that conflict have been have been certainly undercovered and, and covered very poorly. Uh, that report coming out in the midst of this conflict, which which is, I, I think, unique in that in that it kind of like it it, it changes A lot of, you know, decades long established norms and the fact that this conflict was new probably also had a lot to do with it. I mean, I like I'm certainly not defending. Yeah, like I like I'm not defending the um, the coverage of 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 Yemen in general. uh, But I but I would say that, you know, in this specific case that uh, just because of the fact that the the Ukraine war was just beginning to pop off, um, that that I think had. Had had quite a bit to do with it too, but you know, like the like the IPCC report uh, came out this morning, which now says that uh, humanity's approach to dealing with the climate crisis is so is is, is so poorly uh, done so far that we're not going to really have time to adapt uh, to the changes that are coming. I'm not trying to digress to talk about climate, because we are here to talk about Ukraine, but I'm just bringing that up to say, like, a lot of stuff is just getting lost. I mean, like...
4: I mean, it is, it is partially related, right, with all the calls to increase fracking here now that we're going to cut the Russians out of the European energy market.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, people feel free to call in, and, and we'll get to you guys in a few minutes. Um, people who haven't spoken before, we'll definitely give you guys a uh, priority. Sana, uh, go ahead.
6: Yeah. I wanted to mention, cause kind of Bryce, um, you know, uh, kind of started on this, on this uh, thought process. And it, and it reminded me is that I think another thing to really be kind of cautious of in a lot of the news coverage is uh, it's not surprising, um, but to see again, I mean, again, none of this is surprising <laughs> ever, but um, but never takes away from the shock and the audacity, but uh, it's been really interesting to see the amount of uh, U.S. journalists in particular. And obviously, we saw the uh, example with, um, uh, I believe it was uh, Washington. Well, I can't remember with Washington Post editor. I can't remember. Um, Russia Sharma, um, who basically, you know, th- this idea of like, oh, watch out for Russian disinfo. Right And especially how the Russian propagandists use uh, uh you know issues of racism and ethnic divides to really spread misinformation et cetera, and this was specifically regarding reports that were coming from at that point um you know like citizen journalists quote unquote or everyone to referred to them as um, uh, who were saying who were receiving this you know from people on the ground who were receiving videos and saying hey. A lot of Black Africans, uh, Moroccans, um, you know, uh, Arabs, etc., are kind of, and of course, as we now know, Indians as well are being assaulted by Ukrainian and Polish guards trying to get into, uh, while they're trying to cross over, just the kind of even the segregation that's happening, the explicit segregation, the quote-unquote Ukrainian first refugee policy, and a lot of these people were also just trying to get into the country so that they can then go to their home country, right? Like a lot of my friends, her cousin is a uh lebanese national who goes to school in ukraine him his iranian friend and his uh, another friend of his who's also lebanese were just trying to get into poland so that they could actually fly back home because they're like we need to get out like we have no protections here uh we're just students and they were de- they've been denied entry for the last week they can't go in right and so even just this like this refrain of like oh it's just russian propaganda is something i feel like We definitely need to be very wary and cautious of because, of course, there's going to be propaganda from every end of the, you know, of of the world. It's going to come. Right. Like I posted right now about like refugees being led into uh, into Poland and what that's looking like. And within 20 minutes, got a barrage of what seemed like, quote unquote, Polish bots just saying, like, that's not happening. It's actually Muslims doing this and that. It's like, what is it was honestly like a script and every single one of them. Um, was saying the same exact thing. And so that is going to happen, right? And that's something to stay vigilant about. But to start seeing journalists kind of prematurely uh, start talking about, you know, what seemed, especially yesterday and the day before, absolutely legitimate, um, you know, videos and concerns that have been coming out about the treatment of, Uh, non-ethnic Ukrainians, right? Because we also have, because people forget being a Ukrainian isn't just an ethnicity, it's also a nationality. Um, And I think like that's been really concerning. Another point that I want to make really quickly is that another way of also understanding um, and kind of putting words to what we're talking about is what Chomsky really um uh mentioned uh you know before very long time ago about like benign constructive and nefarious wars right um and how which which ones are those which are the good wars which are the constructive wars that are that are tough but still worth it because we're going to get something good out of it and then which wars do we consider bad wars right um and i think that's another really good framework for understanding the media uh narrative on 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 what we're we're seeing kind of emerge um uh, before our eyes,
0: yeah, I think I think the uh, that comment, Asana uh, is really good because uh, it's important to understand that in a conflict like this, uh, especially when you have uh, you know two sides like Russia and, and and NATO. And here, I'm not like so much talking about Ukraine, but I'm talking about the kind of like the larger actors uh, who are propagandizing uh their their populations on both ends about what's going on and you know this 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 takes its its shape in different ways and and it's and it happens at different levels Uh, but yeah i mean there's a difference between saying um you know some obvious wartime propaganda is obvious wartime propaganda and then looking at something like the multiple reports about what's been happening with the refugees, especially the African refugees, and like you were saying, the, the the Indian refugees. Uh you know, there's like multiple video of this uh happening. There have been multiple people uh tweeting about it. It's been written up in a number of different articles at this point in you know, from uh Globe and Mail to to, to AP News. I mean it's, it's 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 not a it's it's not some fringe occurrence that's that's not happening or or something small that's that's happening that's being blown up out of proportion it's 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 an actual thing that is happening to people who are trying to leave the country uh does that change what's happening in ukraine in the war uh as far, like does that somehow justify uh the attacks uh, no of course not but it is still something that is factually happening and so I think it is really important for people uh, to keep that in mind while, while they're looking at, uh, at the facts of what's happening. And especially with when people are just going to automatically say that anything that kind of interrupts their preferred narrative of what's happening on the ground is, is propaganda. I mean, it, you're showing that you're being propagandized yourself. You know, like you're showing that, that w- what they're doing is working. Uh, whichever side it is, it doesn't matter which side it is. You know, whether whether it's people in in Russia who believe that you know this is this is a limited military operation targeted at denazifying Ukraine and and uh, and and working in you know the the two breakaway republics. You know, like that's obviously propaganda. That's obviously uh, something that's being sold to people. Uh, but to then say you know any reporting coming out of ukraine that's distasteful or or kind of goes against my what i prefer to think is happening there is russian propaganda it just shows that you're being propagandized on the other side and i think that's kind of what you were getting at right
6: yeah absolutely and i think like a lot of that has been years in the making too right this idea and, and you know adam johnson Uh, put it really a reporter, um, Adam Johnson, who also does really great media critique. And if you don't follow him, I really do recommend giving him a follow. Um, You know, he put it really well, which is that like, exactly. It's like, I don't like it. Therefore, it must be Russian propaganda is it's a terrible way to be consuming any news or any anything that's coming out. Um, I think like everyone needs to have uh, it needs to take a, a grain of salt, like everything that they're receiving, take it with a grain of salt. And, and obviously not in a way that makes you an ultimate massive cynic. Um, uh, might be too late for some of us, but um, but I think the kind of, this this kind of, you know, discourse war or this kind of like, oh my God, you're who, is, who from the Kremlin is funding you? It's insane to witness. Not again, not surprising, but it's, you know, people are, are just kind of losing their minds and not realizing how much of, uh, like you said, Owen, oh, right. Another form of propaganda has successfully rotted brains.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's just the reverse. Sam, you've, you've, I've seen, you've been the victim of this. Uh, do you want to weigh in? <laughs> um,
4: well, uh, I mean, I, I think it's gotten to an absurd point when just kind of wanting to bring up any discussion of NATO is knocked down as, as Russian propaganda. Um, and, and this gets to like sort of the broader media approach to this conflict. If you it's not just kind of the the, the racism and pro U.S. imperialist interests that are that are coming through cable news outlets, but also just kind of the, um, you know, sort of left progressive commentariat that seems to want to reject quickly any discussion of NATO uh, in this conflict, which would be essentially erasing decades of, of debate within the U.S. State Department about the role that NATO should play and the, uh, whether it's a good idea or not to continue expanding NATO and include Ukraine in NATO. I mean, these were hotly contested debates within the U.S. State Department with people uh, very vocally opposed to NATO expansion and predicting that what we're seeing playing out right now would play out right now. So today, as this is playing out, to then turn around and say any discussion about NATO expansion is is Russian state propaganda is absurd. It's just absurd. I mean, like neocon U.S. diplomats were debating whether or not this is a good idea. Um, It's not even just leftists who are anti-imperialists that were opposed to this idea. So, yeah, it's... um, it's a very strange environment. You saw it with sort of the attacks on the DSA statement that came from the White House of all places. And you've now seen like various cable news uh, people and pundits now jump on it. But you also saw a lot of like these sort of progressive foreign policy writers who, and I don't want to, you know, a lot of them are mufos of mine, so I won't really attack a mufo here. But (laughs) uh, it's just, it's still a little bit disappointing how constrained the debate is and how much pressure there is right now to to toe the U.S. State Department line on this conflict and and knock down anything else.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and and, and Bryce, I just wanted to go to you because your piece uh, at fair um, uh, from from late January, what you should really know about Ukraine. And I'm, I'm not going to ask you to you know go through the whole thing because it's quite it's quite long. But um, you know well, you do you do mention that, and and uh, I think that this line, which kind of you know leads into this list, says. You know, that account is highly misleading because it leaves out the crucial role the U.S. has played in escalating tensions in the region. Um, in nearly every case we looked at, the reports omitted the U.S.'s extensive role in the 2014 coup that preceded Russia's annexation of Crimea, focusing only on the latter part, only a service of manufactured consent uh, for U.S. intervention abroad. So, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm interested in, in in what you think about this uh, kind of obfuscation of context and what you think it it, it means as far as kind of broader propagandizing
2: yeah well it, it seems to me like there's like uh there's been a lot of uh over the last like five years since you know the trump russia stuff there's been a lot of uh sort of mechanisms like defense mechanisms built into sort of public discourse about how you're supposed to approach russia and how you're supposed to approach any topic involving the united states in russia uh, like the central fact of the U.S.-Russia relationship as being uh, uh, sort of adversarial and that they're the enemy, uh, it seems to take center stage to the point where that if you even bring up NATO, like uh, like Sam was saying, if you even bring up the fact that the United States might be uh, partially responsible for the current situation, it's completely shut down. And it's not just that. It's that people refuse to even consider it for themselves. Uh, and that, to me, is like a major mark of of a propaganda society like if you if you can't talk about how yes the u.s has been warned by both internal officials and by russians that some sort of conflagration like this was inevitable if the u.s continued to try and wrest ukraine from uh, the russian sphere of influence and place it in its own if you ignore all that well then you're you you are not even getting remotely close to the full story and even even when the, when Putin gave his like bizarre like uh, speech about Ukraine, he mentioned NATO you know quite a bit close to the end, and then uh, and then you'd see Western media pundits say that like, well clearly this isn't about NATO. Clearly uh, that's just a uh, that's just a a pretext that Putin is using, and it, it, it's so bad to the point where even Putin's. Uh, Putin's terms for de-escalation, terms for peace that he, you know, presented repeatedly during this buildup over the past few months, those terms included uh, a halt to NATO expansion and a, you know, a comprehensive security agreement uh, involving Russia and, and Europe. Um, but in Western media, that was completely dismissed as non-starters and seen only as a pretext for Putin to invade, like, right, like right. Putin is insane for asking these things.
0: And, I think, and so, I think no. Go ahead. Go, you, ahead, sorry. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say. I, I mean, I think it's. I think same pretext is is really important because you know it doesn't it doesn't mean that this wasn't a pretext for invasion. It doesn't mean that the decision to do this has, had had already been made and and that you know that that certain you know I was talking with um, I think this was like last week we were talking like just about how You know, there were just uh, making certain demands that just can't be met. It can sometimes be, you know, the lead into war. Um, But however, however it went down, uh, whether or not it was used as as just a complete pretext or it was an actual, you know, desire for this to happen in order to. Uh, to kind of walk things back to the, from the brink, which I, I personally don't believe. I think that this was inevitable. But uh, that doesn't mean that the concerns are not real. It doesn't mean that these are not actual historical uh, facts for context about this this conflict and this situation uh, that have led to war. And and I think that, uh, t- you know, to just go off of what you're saying, Bryce, like, uh, there were multiple warnings for decades about about this, about the uh, expansion of NATO, and uh, I, I don't care where people fall on this. I mean, like, if if if, if you think that, that NATO expansion is good or bad, it doesn't really matter as far as what I'm saying, because what I'm saying is that the warnings about this possible consequence were there. Like, they were there. And so for anybody to act like uh, it had nothing to do with what's happening now is just not; it just doesn't make any any factual sense. You, I, and to I cut like,
2: off all discussion of it as Russian propaganda, and to uh, like preempt any conversation about that, I think it's like journalistically irresponsible because that's a major part of this entire story.
0: It's 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 absolutely essential historical context, uh, without which uh, you're right you can't uh, you can't possibly understand the situation. Sana, um, I know that you wanted to also, uh, you know, comment on sanctions and about how, uh, they're, uh, portrayed in media and seen in media. So I'll, I'll give you the floor for that.
6: Thanks. Uh, yeah, just super quickly. Um, because obviously we're seeing that sanctions are, um, I mean, they were kind of immediately put in place, um, but we're seeing how much that's kind of becoming, not just, um, the, the go-to uh, response by by the United States and other Western European countries. But also, um, you know, it's been interesting for me personally to witness people in my own life um, who are, you know, very explicitly anti-war. These aren't even necessarily people who would consider themselves on the left, but even a lot of people I know who are explicitly and openly very leftist cheering on sanctions. And um, I think kind of the coverage of the sanctions this has been a little i've been like following sanctions a lot today so today is a bit better than it was in the last few days as i have to give you know credit words it's due. um but you know i don't think there's enough of a of an understanding of how devastating these sanctions which are unprecedented um, in terms of their severity are actually going to be on russians right um and in ter- we already saw that the ruble has fallen 30 30 uh, to the u.s dollar which is going and it, and to continue tumbling, which is going to devastate the economy. And I think for me, it's been very shocking to see, you know, people be like, well, okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but it's great to see Russians coming out to protest. And it's like, what? <laughs> what? Um, and I think that's really, it's really horrifying to witness um, kind of the support as well for these sanctions. And, you know, people being like, well, what else can we do? Like, if we, you want us to bomb them? And, you know, one person, you know, actually reached out to me and said, um, well, aren't sanctions just better than bombs? And all I can think about was like, well, what about the 500,000 dead Iraqi children you know, from the 90s? I don't think that would be a very fair question to ask them, certainly. Um, but I think like, that's another thing just to kind of keep an eye out on It's how the sanctions are being covered. They're being presented in some um, kind of circles where I've seen conversations as though this is going to bring down Putin and his oligarchs, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas we know that 800 billion dollars of like Russian, uh, uh, you know, top tier wealth is actually sitting in offshore accounts. The fact that Putin's own wealth is primarily sitting in offshore accounts with uh, family members abroad, et cetera. The people who are going to suffer the most are going to be Russians. And the question, it's a moral question to ask is like, is it okay? to destroy an entire population and send them into destitution in order to save another population. Uh, and I think the frightening answer that we're seeing in the media and, um, amongst everyday people here in the United States, at least as we can see the conversation evolving online, is yes.
0: Yeah, it is. it, It, I, I think it definitely is, uh, quite disturbing because the way that it has been framed is that it's just going to target, uh, Putin and his direct allies, uh, and I and I think one of the reasons that it is framed like that goes to uh, the this idea of propagandizing, where you know people people know enough about sanctions now, I think, uh, to maybe think more carefully about their application than they would have in the past. But if it's just being presented as hey, this is just going to hurt the banks, this is just going to hurt the oligarchs and, and, and Putin, uh, it's going to get a better response. And, and that has been the way that it's been framed. Sam, go ahead.
4: The, uh, some of the uh, I've, I've seen some reporting that make it explicit that this is about to hurt the Russian people. And uh, Nick Schifrin over at PBS News uh, issued a tweet on uh, uh, two days ago, Uh, In which he's quoting a senior European official talking about the newest round of sanctions makes this key point, quote, the Russian people seem lethargic, like this is all someone else's business and there needs to be a reminder that this is their business, end quote. And Mm. these are the same uh, Russian people that are getting that are getting arrested by the thousands, according to reports showing up.
0: Also the same Russian people who who were told and and I don't think like inaccurately were told repeatedly are under the thumb of an autocratic uh, strongman. Yeah. So like, it's like, like, so, so how much control do they have? Right.
4: Yeah. And, and, you know, to, to Sonia's point, there's no pushback really against these, these very dangerous steps that are being taken to uh, crash the economy of a, a, the, the world's largest nuclear superpower, at least, you know, according to total number of warheads. and, It also gets into another kind of disturbing aspect of the way Western media is portraying this conflict is this, you know, we're, we're five days into this, uh, and you know, it's been sickening just to like watch this invasion take place and the bombs drop and, and the death that we're seeing, uh, play out. But in the U S media, there's this sense of triumphalism that, uh, that that Europe has come together to stop this. That the Russians are getting completely embarrassed. That the Ukrainians are brave, are, are are fighting bravely. And and to, yes, that's to a certain extent true. But also, we're just a few days into what could be the start of like an incredibly incredibly bloody struggle. That the U.S. has done very little, and NATO has done very little to de-escalate heading into this. And especially with and you can say that it's a bluff or it's a move of weakness, but Putin deciding to put nuclear, his nuclear quote unquote, deterrent forces on uh, a heightened alert. Like the stakes are extremely high right now. And there needs to be understanding that you have to have off ramps out of crises like these, especially among nuclear powers. And part of that might include giving people an opportunity to save face. And, the the U.S. approach here seems to be crush, crush, crush at all costs, crush them, crush well, I, them, without any that, regard but, to the consequences.
0: I will say I will say one thing that that I did, and and then Bryce, uh, go ahead. But I I did see one thing that I was like gratified to see, um, and it's like the bar is on the floor, of course, but uh, at, at least you know, asked on MSNBC, like pressed on this, honestly, um, if the U.S. would institute a no-fly zone. uh, Press Secretary Jen Psaki, certainly not my favorite person by any means, but uh, like straight up said no uh, and, and explained it as like, if we do that, it's going to be a direct war and we can't do that. So I was at least like happy to see that that is yeah the, at the moment off the table
5: the white
4: house does seem to be resisting that which is good but just the fact that
0: like these are questions
4: that are being asked on u.s media channels as though these are like legitimate areas of debate whether or not we should put up a no fly zone speaks to how audiences are not being educated at all about the risks that are involved in this conflict
2: yeah exactly like the no flight the no fly the, the no-fly zone thing is especially like crazy to me like we they were talking about that in Syria while uh, when Russian planes got involved. And that that's just insane. That's just saying, let's go attack Russian planes, which, uh, I mean, for anyone who doesn't want to blow up the world should be an absolute non-starter. But, you know, this is the mainstream discussion. It's, it's pretty terrifying that most of the mainstream discussion seems to not be interested in seeing how we could de-escalate things. It, it, they're mostly focused on, like, Okay, how can we hurt Russia? How can we uh how can we punish them? It's more it's more punitive. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be, you know, held to account, but the ways that we go about it like uh flooding weapons into Ukraine, um that's not necessarily that's not necessarily the right approach. That's an approach that could lead us closer to war. And especially since Putin put out the uh the nuclear alert, uh, I think we, we should really be talking about ways that we can like you said, offer a golden bridge, like an off-ramp, to so Putin could say face. so so this whole thing can be uh, contained. But that's completely out of the question here. What we what mo- most media seems to be talking about is escalatory measures and escalating the situation. And there's really no there doesn't seem to be a real constituency, at least in the political class that I've seen, for like de-escalatory measures. Like to, there's no call to reimagine NATO. There's no like mainstream call to maybe say, yes, uh, Ukrainian neutrality should be on the table so we can avoid something worse. Uh, and I, I think it's sort of like this this cartoon Marvel thing that like we can confront the big bad guy. All we have to do is just like band together. But when nukes get involved, those conversations seem sort of childish. It's like that's not that's not something that that's not something that we can do like we can't band together and beat russia that's not on the table at all we can right. I mean,
0: find I mean, no you, yeah, you go just, ahead you know, yeah i just want to say that you know i mean russia is extremely isolated right now um and and that is uh something that has kind of i th- i think mostly naturally happened i i think that i think people around the world uh countries around the world are not happy uh with with this conflict they're not happy with this war and i think i think there there is kind of like a bit of a snowball effect um and i i see the callers, and we'll, we'll get to you guys in a second um th- like there is a bit of a snowball effect uh going on in the in the you know uh it's it's it, like there's there's not a, just a couple of powers pulling the strings here like like people like people are angry and outraged over over this invasion. I I think that that is that like that is true, uh, but at the same time, uh, it it needs to be understood like in the context of like like how much needs to be done like like at what like at what point do we start to like pull back? Um, and and Sana's, so Sana's going to be able to be with us uh, for the full hour. Um, I'm going to take, uh, Vin, uh, I'm going to make you the next caller and, uh, and, and, and take your, your questions and, and comments and, and, just, just try and keep it to around like, uh, 90 seconds, two minutes, please. Thanks.
3: Okay. Thank you. Um, that's a great discussion uh, so far. And I agree with uh, so many of the points, um, especially when I saw some of these, uh, news reports, uh, describing, you know, um, how these victims are, uh, civilized and uh european and that that really was a, a crazy thing to hear um i i wanted to bring up um this issue of and this is a bit more of a media issue cuz you know and i thought this discussion was going to be um broader but um it's about like the description um of mostly i think like the left media sources there seems to be a conflict about the idea of what the ukrainian uh people sort of want the notion of uh what is uh, what what is the idea of their democratically elected leadership uh what that what is described as like a western-backed coup if if you all kind of know what i mean um there seems to be a lot of conflicts around that i've been trying to sort that out i find it very interesting because I find in this debate about um, you know whether uh, you're trying to get at the root of the reasons why Russia invades and there's some people you know for example I, I really listen to a lot of Aaron Mate's analysis I find it to be you know I've learned so much from him but um, that I was really struggling with the idea of constantly referring to uh, Zelensky and. Them as being this uh, uh, coming to power through a Western Baku. That's the squishy stuff, you know? That's where um, you use these terms. Um, and I, it really does the work of putting in people's heads, I think, somehow that this is not a legitimate. Now, I know a lot of Ukrainians and my family, and also people coming from Russia in belarus and uh, well you know i, I i'll leave yeah. it there for now and, and see if there's any discussion on that sorry
0: yeah i mean i think that um, I, I mean like i'll speak for myself and then i'll uh i'll i'll, I'll, I'll allow uh, uh, anybody else to to join in but i, I think that uh, you know describing the civil unrest uh in ukraine over the past eight years uh, a lot of the time it, it's shorthanded to maidan coup um you know uh, probably you know the next time we talk about this uh should probably get a couple people on to kind of discuss both sides of that but uh i think that it it is kind of a shorthand way of explaining this kind of ongoing civil conflict but it is important to to differentiate uh that conflict and, and that specific moment in time, which again was eight years ago and Zelensky uh, who's been president for like three years. Ob- obviously these mm-hmm. are, yeah. you know, th- like these are two, two different things. And and I think you're right, Vin, I think that it should be differentiated. Um, and, and I'm certainly going to going going to try and do better on that.
2: Right. Uh, and uh, you're right. That it's like a, a squishy issue calling uh, calling it like a, U.S. back coup. Um, I think that the description is fair, concerning what actually what actually happened in 2014. Like you know, you had a you know U.S. organizations very heavily involved in the protest. They were supporting them, and then you had the the Newland phone call, which showed a very deep degree of involvement in setting up the new government after the protests. Um, and then that phone call came a few weeks before the government was actually toppled, and Um, the, the person that Newland designated as the guy and they tried to seal the deal with was, uh, made. Yeah.
4: And there's also a pretty clear line of demarcation in the, even though, even though Zelensky has come much later after, and you had other people like Poroshenko, a a pretty far right-wing nationalist who was, who was president for a little bit, um, after the, after 2014, um, but before the before the coup there, you had Yanukovych, who you know, was obviously corrupt and very closely aligned with Russia, but, you know, had committed but was still having pretty decent relations with Europe as well um, and had committed to a, a n- not to joining NATO. That once that government is toppled and you then have successive presidents that try to move Ukraine closer to NATO, Again, that speaks to this, exactly. th- this issue that you can't ignore that factor into what is what is driving Russian actions here that you can say, yes, it is Russian imperialism, too. Too, I mean, I'm not going to debate that too much. I think it's mm-hmm. worth an interesting exploration of how we define imperialism. I don't have a problem defining it as imperialism, but there's also a lot more going on there, too.
0: Right. I and mean, like I mean, these these aren't mutually exclusive. Right. I mean, like these yeah. are all things that can all exist at the same time, I think. Sonate. Yeah,
2: exactly. Exactly. Like the 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 fact that the United States is creating and generating different political realities in Ukraine by you know foreign capital alone, uh, and you know U.S. involvement. Uh, you have national endowment of democracy, like funding media operations, funding NGOs in there. So you see a bigger hand in Ukrainians' politics. Now, this was a direct choice by U.S. policy planners, um, and of course. Like I said, that they were warned about trying to rescue Ukraine out of the Russian sphere of influence, Um, but they did it anyway. And so in that sense, I think that it's it's reasonable to call what happened in 2014 a coup. It's reasonable to call uh, it's reasonable to call out U.S. involvement over the last eight years. I think it is overstating the case uh, quite a bit to call it a puppet government. Um, especially considering that uh, Zelensky was not the the leader installed after the coup. The lead, Zelensky was elected uh, in 2019, uh, and some observers even call that election a sort of rejection of the of the Maidan Revolution, the Maidan era, uh, because Zelensky, if I recall correctly, he did campaign to a certain degree about making peace with Russia to to uh, you know ease tensions to make things a lot better. Or Ukrainians over there, um, and well, we've seen more and more U.S. pressure trying to pull him in the opposite direction.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and you know, this is not, you know, it's not unique. I mean, this is this is the kind of thing uh, that large superpowers do. Uh, like uh, they they vie for influence, uh, they fight these kind of proxy Cold War battles using different countries as chips basically um it's just that in in this case uh you know uh, ukraine has become the kind of red line chip as it were uh we only have a couple more minutes here but uh kusha i'll take you just try and limit it to uh uh 90 seconds here thanks
5: hi um owen is it possible to have uh like two to three minutes like the previous no, uh,
0: 90 seconds.
5: OK, I'm going to keep it to 90 seconds. I'm going to start now. OK, so what you all talked about essentially was Bryce mentioned worthy and unworthy victims. I think it's very important to consider that when it comes to interventions of these enemy governments of the United States. When we think about countries like the Islamic Republic of Iran, many people who are self-described anti-imperialists don't like talking about the murders carried out by the Islamic Republic against their people. And there have been tens of thousands that have suffered, millions of families who have suffered. Getting back to Putin, we need to, I believe, go back to Putin's intervention in Syria, which was a big turning point in uh, interventions uh, militarily by Russia. Beyond going back to the history of Russian interventions in Dagestan, Chechnya, Georgia, Crimea, um, and the invasion of Ukraine, and so on. Uh, Obviously, we have to also address the fact that uh, one reason that drove Putin in very much was the fact that He saw uh, the video of Muammar Gaddafi being impaled by NATO-backed rebels, Mm -hmm. and that uh, he decided in a similar situation in the future he would not allow the same thing to happen. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, we have to acknowledge the fact that the Islamic Republic of Iran was very um, grateful to see this happen. Uh, One of the foreign ministers of the Islamic Republic uh, commended the the rebels in Libya who did so, and um, his name... As Ramin Min Paras, he said, the inevi- uh, quote, the inevitable fate of all dictators and oppressors who do not respect the rights of the people and destruction, the Islam Republic of Iran welcomes this great victory and congratulate the Muslim people and the Libyan National Transition Council. Um, so it's, uh, we need to call all of this out. We just need to be thorough. We need to tell the whole story. We should not just be uh, telling facts that are convenient. Okay, that's one minute and 30 seconds. Thank you very much. Please respond.
0: Yeah, thanks. Uh, I mean, Kush, it, it, it feels like uh, this is... The same question that you've asked the last couple times um and so i'm not sure how to really answer it differently than i have the other two times um so can, can i I'm just say gonna, something yeah go ahead Sana.
6: Yeah, so I will say that every time I've kind of been in this room, I know Kusha asked the same thing, more or less, and also demanding that speakers um, condemn what he believes needs to be condemned and so on and so forth, which, you know, whatever, power to you, whatever you want. Um, But I do, I didn't entirely even understand the point that you were trying to make. I just heard something about Gaddafi, impaled, and and whatever. Um, I, I think, like... First of all, in general, asking people to just condemn constantly is not a good look and not a good strategy for whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. Secondly, it seems to really kind of um, not be what we're up here to discuss, which is a very specific topic regarding uh, um, uh, U.S.-European media coverage of the Russian invasion of Ukraine um, and how there are, you know, how it's revealed a staggering uh, but obvious double standard. So the conversation that you're asking us to have is a completely different conversation. Maybe you can pitch that as a whole other conversation, but I just think it's an irrelevant and a waste of time and I would rather hear from other people.
0: Thank you, Sana. Uh Osama, we're going to take you uh, your call here.
1: Yeah, hi, on. hi, everybody. Thank you for the opportunity. It's just ninety seconds. second. I'm a journalist and I'm a refugee, originally from Egypt. I'm based in London. And um, I, I have a short message to this Western media, actually, with this racist coverage. Um, um, I have a good car. I'm wearing a, a clean and nice clothes. And I have a Netflix account. I was a professional dentist in Egypt. I forced it to flee my country because of the political issues in 2013. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to speak English uh, well, to be uh, clear. Uh, however, um, I will never be look like you because I'm not white. I will never speak English with your accent because it is not my native, uh, my uh, mother language. I'm not a native speaker. Uh, but we all living in the same world. We are not came Middle Eastern people are not came from another planet we are a, we are living in this planet together so i think that the, the, the important lesson during the pandemic that we all equal we can die from the same pandemic we can live in the same world we can face the threat together so i'm um, um, actually these comments um hurts me deeply because i um, i can't understand where is where is the point here Ukrainian people are now uh, seeking refuge in European countries or wherever they want. We stand in solidarity with them because they are human beings, and we are human beings. Where is the point to classify people during a, a disaster like this? They are white, they are not like Iraq or Syria. they are civilized or not civilized. Uh, this is ridiculous, this is racist, and I think we we don't need this. Comments during this war, we we need to stand together. We need to stand for humanity. We need to stand and support Ukrainian people.
0: Thank you very much, Osama. I, I think that, I mean, I think that that says it a lot better than, uh, than certainly than I can say. I mean, you're, it's it's a very, it really speaks to the emotional context. I, I think I'll I'll just leave it there for for myself for a reaction. Thank you for that. Anyone else? Go ahead. I, I I
4: didn't. I wasn't sure I got Osama's point. I, I thought he was. I, I thought he was. He was criticizing our conversation, but maybe I misunderstood. No, it. No, no, no. He no, wasn't.
6: No. He wasn't.
4: No. Okay. I'm sorry. No, um, no.
1: I'm, I'm just sending a message to the Western media. Oh, conference. thank you. I yeah. I totally okay. respect you, and I enjoyed the discussion. Thank you. Gotcha, Thanks.
4: Sorry about that.
6: <laughs> yeah, I just I just wanted to say like thank you, Osama, for your your perspective, and I think it's like for me it's very heartbreaking to hear these. Um, these kind of comments as well, because it's, I don't think there's anyone in this world who can best understand the plight of a Ukrainian refugee than other refugees who've been forced from their homes, um, especially in the midst of like losing their homes, right, in terms of losing their country. Um, and so I, I think like my heart goes out to you. Um, it, like it is very heartbreaking to to hear this. And I've heard it again and again in the last few days from 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 people from various refugee communities who are just like, where where is our humanity in all of this? Like, why why are we being kind of um, why did we experience this um, and being, you know, dehumanized in the process as well? So just want to thank Osama for his um, for sharing. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's like one of the most like uh, kind of ugly aspects about this. Like you see something horrible happen in the world when an enemy state does it. Uh, and then you see the Western media all rally in support of the victims. Uh, especially when they're, you know, European, quote unquote, civilized and white. But then when something worse happens to places around the world, you know, they're just cast aside. They're just ignored, like all the refugees dying in the Mediterranean, all of the the millions of refugees that, you know, Europe doesn't want to take. They sort of shunt that off on Turkey. Um, But here in this crisis now, since there's a there's a major sense of we're all coming together to beat Russia. Now, it's like, well, okay, well, yeah, refugees are in. (laughs) Refugees are cool. There's no, you don't see the discussions about, oh, well, will they be able to culturally assimilate or will they raise crime rates or anything like that? Like, like, no, and and rightly so. Like, we're talking about the humanity of people who have lost their homes, who are under attack, and who, first and foremost, need our help.
0: Yeah, yeah, we need to have a more universalist kind of solidarity. For sure. Uh, I think we didn't take the next caller and then um, went a little over time. So I think I, I think we'll
3: wrap after that. But uh, uh, go ahead. Hi. Very briefly, you know, uh, just reflecting on the, the title of the of the conversation analyzing Western media coverage of Ukraine um, are the viewpoints that you know we've been reviewing about uh, how it's been depicted compared to Middle Eastern, uh, you know, and greater Middle East uh, type conflicts. Is that correctable or is that baked in? Uh, also, is it kind of, is this anti-Russia bias baked in? Um, I mean, is this Ukraine uh, position similar? Just another facet, just like uh, Trump Russia was for the past four or five years. Uh, that's my- yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna gather
0: my thoughts if somebody else wants to go. Uh Um,
6: really quickly, yes, I think a lot of this is baked in, um, uh, as I don't know if you were here earlier, anonymous, but, um, you know, I was mentioning how, uh, you know, this kind of coverage, whether it's of Russia, whether it's of, you know, Arab populations or Arab societies or Muslim societies or, you know, various African countries. I mean, I just want to also point out, for instance, there's a ma- there's massacres happening currently in Tigray, right, in Ethiopia. No news coverage whatsoever of that. It's deeply embedded in, in the media industry. And I think it's very... now, I think. We know that it is very much so aligned with also foreign policy interests um, of the countries, of, of whether it's in the United States, whether it's in Europe as well. Um, that really dictates a lot of... Um, Uh, the way that this news coverage and the narratives that emerge, like what they look like as well. So unfortunately it is very much so baked in. And I don't think it's something that uh, easily uh, is rectified.
2: Yeah, I would really agree with that. Like one of the ways I interpret the media is I use like uh, the sort of propaganda model that was laid down by Ed Herman and Noam Chomsky and manufacturing consent. Uh, It's just that there are a lot of filters that determine who gets into these positions uh, uh, in the media. Like There are a lot of filters that determine what ideas or or, or, or that determine which people with which ideas get put on on the platform, get given a platform. And a lot of all these involve things like, uh, well, a lot of the journalists who get into these media positions, they believe that they are, in some sense, fighting for our team like the the u.s team the the team for democracy and they're reflected and that's reflected in the coverage and there's also the complete lack of flack which was one of the filters that uh herman and chomsky pointed out uh like if you criticize the u.s uh if you criticize u.s policy in this there won't be a lot of you know high level journalistic outfits that'll attack or yeah, sorry <laughs> if you criticize the u.s there will be a lot of journalistic outlets that'll attack you for it that'll call you like a russian asset that'll call you putin's puppet things like that but of course if you go along with what the u.s is saying if you go along with the with the sort of dominant ideology well then there won't be people who attack you and that's that's a matter of like uh, just practicality for many of these journalists they you know There are there are a lot of incentives structurally built in to the media system, the corporate media system that encourage this sort of uh, this sort of coverage. So I I do think it's baked in. I don't know how to fix it. My solution has always been uh, to promote and encourage alternative media sources. I I think I think the, the legacy media is kind of too far gone at this point.
0: Yeah, Sam.
4: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and one of the most shocking, like, kind of stories was a few days ago when when there were reports of, of Russians targeting civilian areas and Russians came out and said, well, they're embedding themselves in these areas. And the U.S. acted outraged by that explanation, even though we've heard U.S. State Department officials say this for years and years and years to justify civilian casualties in the so-called war on terror and to justify israeli strikes on palestinians it's just like there's you know once again confronted with these glaring double standards there's just not even any self reflection and i just want to apologize to osama for for missing his point earlier i was confronted with a richard engel tweet that just like really scrambled my brain and uh yeah i i'm still not fully recovered
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was going to use that as as the, because um, I'm pretty sure it's the same one, as as kind of a sign-off here. You know, we're talking about, um, <laughs> is this stuff baked in? Is there any way around it? And and this guy is is basically trying to urge on World War Three for like, you know, the 80th time in the last four days. Uh, he says, perhaps the biggest risk calculation slash moral dilemma of the war so far. A massive Russian convoy is about 30 miles from Kiev. The U.S. NATO could likely destroy it, but that will be direct involvement against Russia and risk everything. Does Jesus. the West watch in silence as it rolls? Uh, yes, yes, they do, Richard. I mean, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> well, I mean, how to respond to that, like.
6: I I just read that tweet as well. And the only thing I can think of is how it's and we saw the same thing happen with the Afghanistan withdrawal coverage as well is how American journalists immediately become frontline soldiers without being frontline soldiers. You know what I mean? Like immediately they become the biggest, you know, uh, cheerleaders for further militarism when I think obviously I would hope we all agree that the most important thing right now is to end and, 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 uh, you know, the aggression and the war. Um, through means that don't force and create more violence and militarism. And it's just shocking to see everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really is. Take uh, that man's phone away from him as quickly uh, as <laughs> God, please. Um, well, I, I think this has been a really great panel. Um, I've, 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 I've gotten a few messages from people who said that they, that they've really enjoyed it already. Um, I think this has been a really, really great discussion. Sam, Bryce, Sonnet, thank you guys so much uh, for joining and and discussing this. Uh, I I think like important aspect to to a really tense situation. I'd like to thank everybody that called in, and um, yeah, uh, if, unless anybody has any anything else to say, I think we'll we'll, we'll call it there. You guys have any uh, after after thoughts here?
4: Thanks for having me on, Owen. Right. Yeah, thanks
6: just, for having me. No. This is a really great conversation. So thank you for hosting the...
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I think we're probably um it sounds like we're probably gonna do another one next week. Uh might be kind of more concentrated on conservative media. Still kind of working out what that'll be, but I'll let you guys all know about that for sure. So thanks everyone and have a great day. All right,
1: bye bye.